Welcome to the Generation BSC End of Summer Rewatch of Season 1 of the Babysitter's Club series on Netflix. For the next few weeks, watch along with us and revisit our thoughts on the series before Season 2 drops this October. We'll be back in the fall with our own Season 2 as well and can't wait to catch up with you all then. In the meantime, keep your eye on our social media for updates and don't forget to email, DM, comment, or reach out. We love to hear from you all. See you this fall. Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, the podcast where we take a look at the way the Babysitter's Club shaped us when we were little, how it's affected us now as adults. And uh, this summer, we're taking a specific deep dive look at the new generation of Babysitter's Club girls on the Netflix series. So we have made it all the way up to episode eight, Christie's Big Day. Um, Kate, why don't you kick things off by reminding us what happens in this week's episode? So this is the episode that is Christy's mom's wedding to Watson. So Edie and Watson finally get married. Um, it's book six, but episode eight. So it's a little, they shifted things around a little bit for this first season of the show, um, which I think makes a little bit of sense just to give us a little bit more time with Christy working through her family relationship drama and getting more comfortable with Watson because I think that's a conversation we've been having in the books and throughout the conversation with the series is, you know, Watson and Christy's relationship is just sort of like, oh, here it is. And oh, now they have a good relationship. And it, it's been nice to get to see that. And I'm sure we will talk more about that in this episode. But the, that's sort of the big crux of this ep- episode is, you know, the ramp up to the wedding. And sadly, we don't get the storyline from the book with all of our babysitters babysitting 14 kids that are the the children of Edie and Watson's friends who are in town helping with the wedding. Um, here we've got a bunch of wedding planners and official people and no children to babysit. There's really not any babysitting in this episode except for a very, very short scene at the beginning when Christy's sort of babysitting, but Edie's there. So there's not really any babysitting. I take that back. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 basically all wedding family relationship issues up to the wedding and then resolving themselves at the wedding as is pretty typical with shows like this. You know what? I was actually thinking something very similar about um, the way that they chose to shift this from book six to Mm -hmm. book eight or to episode eight rather. And I I think a big part of it has to do with make sense that it, it, it hits sort of typical television beats like wedding at the end of the season versus, you know, randomly in the middle right um so so that makes sense because it to me this feels very much like um sort of like a mini finale where the last two episodes the actual finale of the season feels very much like a super special which you know makes sense because mm-hmm. that's what it is exactly um but it, it it makes sense to me that this sort of felt like the natural end of the the regular part of the series and then um they have the the super special as at the end um so yeah, that made, I liked that. I did note as well that it made the same, um, it did have the added effect of allowing Christy and Watson's, um, relationship to develop a little bit more organically. Uh, and I think that that for me is the biggest takeaway from this episode is this is the first time that we have ever really engaged with 
the socioeconomics of this world mm-hmm. pretty much at all. So we've, we mentioned briefly a couple of times, um, when in particularly in Christy and the snobs, when she moved into the, her, her new neighborhood about, you know, the emphasis that was placed on material goods. But that was always, um, on people they were babysitting on people outside of our central characters. Um, in fact, as you mentioned, um, in the books for, Edie and Watson's wedding, uh, they, all their friends are helping out. And it seems a very, like, a, a very backyard, hands-on. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say thrown together, but... Um, but it's very, like, DIY less... and everybody coming together. And yes. that's It almost felt like the wedding gift of all of these friends, because Watson and Edie don't need gifts, but the, the gift was a week of their time to, you know, be together and help with the wedding and spend all this time together before they, you know, start their new life as a married couple. And here in the show, it's definitely fancy, 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 no friends. I mean, obviously there are friends there, but like, it's not, it's not this sort of ragtag and ragtag is obviously not really what I'm talking about because again, they're mostly Watson's friends that are very well to do for the most part. But, um, yeah, it definitely has a different feel on the show than the wedding in the books that we talked about when we talked about Christie's big idea or Christie's big day um, in the book. And I think that that, I mean, obviously that has something to do with the plot machinations. So, you know, right. in, the, um, in the book, they had to move up the wedding for various reasons for the to get to the honeymoon at certain times and blah, blah, blah. So like there was a there was a time crunch, which led to some of that. But um you get the sense in in the television show it's even if it was a time crunch the solution would have been to throw money at it rather mm-hmm. than to um you know bring your friends together to do it well it and definitely I, seems I, like I, that's watson's mo generally is to throw I money was gonna at say, a problem yeah and even if it's not a problem let's throw money at it and i'll i'll let you continue cuz i it sounds like you were already headed down this path so i will let you start that conversation and i clearly have a lot of thoughts so <laughs> i will jump in after that i was just going to say i have the same reaction is i have a very um I had a very strong reaction this time through, especially. Um, I, I, I did the first time, but especially watching it a little bit more mm-hmm. closely and critically. I, I don't, I can't even figure out what it, exactly it's trying to say because the messaging seems to be that money doesn't change you or the, that money isn't the thing that matters. However, how that goes I, I like I guess I, I you can uh, tell me in a second whether you agree with me or not but uh, with that messaging but I go back to the earlier conversation where Christy was railing about it and and Sam called her out on on the the faux feminist aspect of it um and and Christy is clearly doesn't have a problem with money as we've pointed out many times that you know she is clearly motivated in in a capitalist mm-hmm. sense to make the club successful so like I don't I that's clearly not the issue but it, it is used – Watson uses his money so casually, uh, first of all, without any discussion with Edie either time, mm-hmm. which even after the first time, knowing that she was uncomfortable with it, that it, it speaks to me of a much broader um, laissez-faire attitude about money that makes me uncomfortable uh, in – terms of a wider socioeconomic context in, in in the real world that we live in, like people watching this show. Um, uh, I, I don't know exactly what messaging that we're supposed to take away from it. So um, uh, 
that's where I was, that's where my head started going. I'd love to hear what your thoughts were, because clearly you, you were, had some strong emotional reaction as well. Yeah, I, I sort of the same thing with you. The first time I watched it, I was a little bit like, oh, that's um, a little off. And then watching it again another time to sort of take notes and think critically, um, I had an even stronger reaction. Um, and I just, I don't know that I know like you said, I don't know what the message is here because there doesn't seem to be a message either way that it's good or bad. You know, what Watson is doing is just the fact that, that he's doing it and then Edie gets upset, but then she doesn't really care. Like the, and I, I think I'm, I can't even like get my brain around it. And I, I feel like I've had that in a, the last few episodes. There's always like one thing that I'm just like, I have such like a reaction to it and I don't even know how I feel about it to, totally vocalize it but here there's you know there's two specific instances where where Watson has an interaction with one of the Thomas kids where he spends a significant amount of money on that child without discussing it with Edie ahead of time there's you know he goes with Charlie to buy a used Toyota Corolla that Charlie has saved up for probably for years and He's had it picked out. He knows exactly what he's going to buy. He has the amount of money he needs to buy it. So Watson's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do the stepdad thing. I'll take you, you know, Edie's dealing with wedding stuff. And they come home with a brand new BMW SUV, which is probably what, $50,000. I, I mean, I don't know how much, oh, easy. you know, like, I don't know how much a BMW is. I drive a 2012 Prius. Like, that that's that was extravagant to me and I still drive it you know like so a brand new BMW like doesn't even compute with me and and then you know they come home and Edie's you know sort of distressed a little bit about it but her biggest thing is that Watson didn't talk to her about it first and then he sort of sells it as like oh well you know he, Charlie can be in charge of carpool and that's as a side note that's how Christy is now going to be getting to and from the babysitters club meetings because Charlie has this extravagant car, so one of his duties to have this car is to drive her around. So the Babysitter's Club doesn't have to pay him a dollar each way. So there's that reaction, and and Edie sort of gets on board very quickly, and her her only issue is that they didn't talk about it first. Not that that Charlie now has a $50,000 car that's brand new. And then later, Watson takes Christy to get her bridesmaid dress, and she hates it because she says she looks like a banana. It's I mean, it's, it's a lovely dress. It's not for me. It's definitely not for Christy. And he just buys her an $800 replacement dress, which is gorgeous and lovely. And she clearly loves it as a, you know, her character loves it. But again, he didn't talk to, to Edie. And then Edie doesn't even find out about this replacement dress until the morning of the wedding when Christy is already wearing it. And it just, the fact that she then sort of takes it out on Christy, like it's Christy's fault that she didn't get a refund for the old dress or didn't talk about it with her mom. It's not Watson's problem. I think that's the bigger issue I have is that it's suddenly Christy's fault, mm-hmm. whereas the BMW is no one's fault. But if it were anyone's fault, it definitely wouldn't be Charlie's fault, just the way that this dress shouldn't be Christy's fault. And I, I feel like that's my biggest issue with this is the way that Edie treats the children differently and that you know comes around mm-hmm. to the very end conversation where you know she says that she expects more from Christy and it's like that's yep. that's some bullshit like all all of this stuff is wrapped up in 
it's some bullshit <laughs> the way that Edie thinks about Christy and expects things from Christy. And I immediately went back to the very first episode that we discussed that mm-hmm. when we were talking about her decision to start the babysitting club in the first place was born from that it we see it seemed like Edie had an over reliance on Christy, expected more from her. Um and I, I think that there's there's definitely something there. Because I think that that is a very true to life dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I know that I have personally felt that way, um, in my family before. And whether that is real or perceived on, Mm -hmm. on, on my part, you know, that's my therapist and I are still working that one out. However, (laughs) um, I, I don't think that that is terribly uncommon. Um, especially in the case of girls, uh, Mm -hmm. that I think that there's often an emphasis on girls or an expectation of girls. Um, especially in single parent homes sort of step up, um, in certain ways and, and to help with childcare and things like that. Um, and, and I've talked a, a lot about, uh, the parentification and how that's sort of a triggering thing for me mm-hmm. having worked with kids and that we're often in that situation. Um, and this is definitely a milder form of that, but there's definitely some of that there. And that is, um, I think it's meant to be played as heartwarming. Mm-hmm. I think the show might think that it's that that it's um because Chris it's a good thing that because Christy's so mature that Edie thinks of her as expects more from her and expects uh, I don't know. I, I I but I don't think that it's a good thing. I I think that it's a, a terrible thing. Yeah. I I so I I think that my first reaction to Edie's reaction to the dress was, oh, this is a straw that broke the camel back, camel's back. She's not really mad about the dress. She's mad about the car and the dress. Mm-hmm. Like the, it was, it, it, it's accumulation. But the effect of that is it goes to Christy and then she blatantly called out at, the, I was like giving her the benefit of the doubt. And then at the, at the end of the episode when she blatantly calls out about how she expects more from her, um, and, and because she's, she's her child favorite child. Way. Like, yeah, that that's too. the emotional manipulation there Ugh. is uh, so upsetting. Um, so uh, that was its own upsetting thing. Mm-hmm. And in a combination with the fact that, um, aside from the socioeconomic weirdness of it and the uncomfortability of, of, of that sort of, I don't know, that's a whole other conversation about the way that television portrays affluence and how that's the norm and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. especially because there's a whole conversation to be had about, you know, Christy made it sound like they were leaving hand to mouth, but they still live next door to the Kishi or across the street from the Kishis who kitchen we compared to Nora Ephron. So uh, there's some weird, you know, I, there's some weirdness there. But aside from that, my bigger concern is around, um, Edie and Watson's relationship. Mm -hmm. This is now, so last episode we talked about how he was willing to lie to get Christy on his side, to not tell Edie something really important that happened, especially the way that, like we said, it wasn't, it went beyond just, it it, it started as an honest accident, which fine, but then escalated to her lying and avoiding and blah, blah, blah. Um, So that was bad. And then this time he's making unilateral decisions about her children and uh, like, I think to some degree, again, tying back to the capitalism, this is how this is all messy and, and, and why I think I'm having such a hard time unpacking it is because I think for him, he doesn't see it as a communication issue because mm-hmm. it is just money that he would have, that he is, does, has no concept around right. that doesn't seem odd to him. Him buying an $800 dress because she didn't like the one she was wearing is a no big deal. That's a drop in a bucket. And there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that mm-hmm. if you, recognize and understand that privilege 
But I don't think that he's doing that. And I don't think that Edie is doing a very good job of communicating those issues to them, to him, and instead is turning that around on Christy because maybe Christy's safer. You know, there's right. um, definitely something to be said about, um, you know, lashing out at the people that you know are not going anywhere. Um I, I mean, I know I'm definitely guilty of that. I've been guilty of that with you, you know. Right. It's not a good thing, you know. Um, and it's something human that I recognize. And I don't know. I don't know if there's a point buried in all of that confusion. But that this is the, like, thorny mess mm-hmm. that was – I it, it really I, – I definitely think the ranking of, of how I view this season has changed mm-hmm. after we've had these conversations. Definitely. Um, which is, you know. I think normal, but, um, this time I definitely was not caught up in the, in the wedding of it and the, um, the Karen of it, although she is, you know, <laughs> phenomenal. Um, although, uh, in a grand tradition of television characters who are fantastic on a show, but would be a nightmare to know in real life. <laughs> like that's, that's all I could think of Karen. I was like, Oh God, she would be both as a child and the person that she grows up to be. Yes. Not a person I would want to have anything to do with in real life. For sure. Yeah. Love love the Karen energy on the show. I love every time she shows up. But if she were a real person that I had to deal with on a regular basis as a child or an adult, I I don't know that I could handle it. Maybe as a child, if it was like as frequently as we see Karen on the show, <laughs> you know, like one of my <laughs> friend's kids that I see like, you know, maybe once a month, I could probably handle that. Especially if she's – if that kid that I know in real life has the exact same, like, mannerisms and spooky energy, I I could probably get behind that. Although the screaming at the wedding, one more bit of destiny is the officiant. <laughs> I don't know if I could deal with that. Yeah. Like, Karen manages to take everything to the next level in a way that is hilarious on a show, mm-hmm. but uh, really obnoxious in real life. Regardless, as, as obnoxious as some of that energy was, her having her moment to shine down that aisle was um, – I I will grant that to the show anytime. I'll get through some of the um, less than stellar aspects just to see her twirl her her adorable self down the aisle yes. um, and just crush it. Dramatic Loved hand it. gestures and flower petals going everywhere. It was perfect. And then obviously we do need to talk about the fact that Aunt Esme, Morbid of Destiny, comes in again with the best little monologue, I guess it's not really a monologue, her mm-hmm. her officiant speech, I wrote down the entire thing because it needs to be commemorated on our yes. show because it is so perfect. Do it. So she steps up to officiate. Karen sees her, screams at the top of her lungs, this blood-curdling, piercing scream, and this is Anna Esme's response. It's Okay. This little girl thinks I'm a witch, so in front of a room full of witnesses, I would like to say that she's right. I am a spiritual practitioner. Now, historically, the term witch has been used to describe people, primarily women, who refuse to conform to society's expectations of who they should be. We got a lot of witches here. And then she says, when children tell you something, believe them. Love it. Like, I love her so much. And I love that Sharon and Dawn are like right there with the snaps after she says, we got a lot of witches here because, mm-hmm. you know, they're yes. family. They've they've got the, you know, the share circle, sheremony, energy, events. I I just, I really love what they did with Mrs. Porter, Morbetta Destiny in this show. And I really love that they gave her 
that to say <laughs> as part of the wedding because it's just it's just perfect. I love it. I fully agree. My only only hiccup with like any of her whole shtick is I do question some of the sage smudging. I just know there's, that there's some appropriation conversation around mm. that. I know that there is some mixed feelings about how that has become sort of a mainstream thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's done respectfully, I, uh, I, I'm, again, not the right person to speak on this. I just do want to note that it's something that was brought to, to my attention that I, I was not aware of that I think is worth looking into for people. One of the biggest issues is that sage, like the the smudging sage, white sage like that, is a pretty limited resource. So some of the fatification of that uh, is having some negative consequences mm-hmm. for actual spiritual pra- practitioners. But I, I, from what I can tell from the show, and again, I am not the one to be making this determination. I want to throw this conversation out there because I'd, lo- I'd love to hear from people. Um, is she seems to be taking it very seriously mm-hmm. that it's not the way that some, I mean, let's call it like it is white girls appropriate yeah. some of the more spiritual practices. But I think as long as people are practicing for me personally, as someone who does not really um, engage with spiritualism in that way, that it just doesn't make sense to me. I think that as long as someone is approaching a spiritual practice with the respect and, um, reverence that I think is appropriate for it, then, then it's probably okay. But again, uh, who knows? I just, uh, we didn't really talk about that when we talked about the share circle. And I, I thought about it again, as she was, you know, stating her claim as a spiritual practitioner and about, um, you know, the things that went along with that. And I just thought it was, was interesting to note that um, some of that, those spiritual practices have definitely been co-opted recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the the crystals, uh, that's something that I think a lot of people say that they're into and maybe they believe that they're into, but they don't really delve deep into what it actually means. And, you know, sort of like you were saying, like, you you think that maybe it's something you would want to look into, but you realize it's just not like it doesn't mean that to you. And I think that's something that I think people need to do a better job of, like, if you hear about a practice, whether it's crystals or smudging or, you know, witchcraft generally or, you know, the Wiccan religion or Christianity or Judaism, whatever. I think if you want to delve deeper and learn more about that and see if maybe it actually is something that resonates with you and a belief uh, system and, you know, practices that would mean something to you in your life and help guide you in whatever way that might do that. I think that's – I feel like that's sort of what you're saying is – you need to yes, you need exactly. to do the research. You need to learn what it actually is about and you need to sort of accept what it is and not just take the parts that are cool, you know, quote unquote cool or have, mm-hmm. you know, fancy crystals attached to it cuz like there are people that it means something and while you and I have acknowledged in prior episodes that that's not something that means something to us, we both are respectful of people who have that feeling for themselves and I think that's that's sort of the issue is when it's just like, oh, hey, I like crystals. And it's like, okay, but, mm-hmm. but you, do you like, do they actually mean something to you? Have you done the research to know that it means something? I think it's a little bit more of what we're concerned about. Yeah. I think the research 
thing is, is really the, the key piece there, that if you approach something with respect, there's obviously going to be a level of research and things mm-hmm. that goes into it. I, I, I bump up against when, when people do turn it into a fad. And I always go back to um, like Kabbalah a number of years mm-hmm. ago. So all that to say, I don't think that that is the case of Morbid of Destiny. And I think that that's why that her speech uh, resonated mm-hmm. with me. I can see why people would think of her as flighty or think of her as eccentric, but I think that her spiritualism is incredibly grounded mm-hmm. um, and incredibly practical, really, um, and 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 built out of some deep reverence for um, that spirituality. And whether that comes from a traditionally Eastern background, a traditionally Indigenous background, um, or some mixture of the above, I think people's spiritual practices are very... Uh, personal and mm-hmm. can often be a mix of things. In fact, we saw that at, at the wedding to, to bring it back onto topic. <laughs> um, all right. So I think anything else about the wedding or Watson or the Brewer Thomases that we haven't really del- delved into? Because I think a lot of the the issues that we talked about with Christy and Watson and Christy and her mom are things that have come up, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the season. And we've sort of um, discussed those not to death, but like we, we've hit on some of those major things. So in, in a lot of ways, um, parts of this episode felt a little bit like a retread, like um, not a retread, I guess, but we didn't get a ton of development further beyond what we already knew the parameters mm-hmm. were. And like, yeah. there was a fight, but it didn't feel like the needle moved in a, any, in any huge significant way to me. Um, I, and I don't know if that was just because I was hung up on some of these other minor details <laughs> that, um, you know, affected that, but I I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah, no, I feel like, you know, plot-wise, we definitely just sort of it, – it, plot-wise, we moved along, but, like, the relationships between the characters and their interactions didn't really – there wasn't really anything new, aside from the things that we've talked about, which were sort of relationship-related. But, yeah, I don't think that there's anything really specific to the wedding or, you know, the Watson, Edie, Christy storyline that – needs to be addressed. So the only other big thing that happened at the wedding before we get to everybody else's plot line is the other meaning of Christy's big day is she gets her period for the first time. <laughs> yeah. I thought that it was really sweet, but I also thought it was an interesting thing that they just sort of dropped in into the episode. And I couldn't decide if that's something that I like um, in that, you know, making it again, like we've talked about in the past, not a big deal, making it very normalized and very casual. Um, in fact, yeah, as I'm as I'm saying it out loud, I, I think I do very much like that. And they didn't go the whole um, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret right. route, because I think it has become much less subject of drama and angst than it was back in the day. It's far more matter of fact in a in a very, very good way. Yeah, it was definitely a very sort of straightforward beat in the story. And I think that was really refreshing. For that, for those exact reasons, it didn't need to be a whole thing. It was just sort of like, it's part of life, and now it's happened, and now you get to bring feminine products to camp, too. <laughs> but it's so funny to be so far removed from that that I had kind of forgotten that it was a big deal. Until, like, in this, I was like, oh, why is this even in this episode? This is kind of no thing. Until at the very end when she was like, it's, you know, it was my, it really is my big day. And I went, oh, my God, I do remember that that feeling of it meaning of it being meaningful in some way mm-hmm. and um 
while we haven't seen that depicted in the books at all, we have obviously ad nauseum and repeatedly talked about the concept of being a baby versus maturity. Right. And so it makes total sense and fits right in that that would be a very big deal for someone who was, um, again, obsessed is probably a strong word, but um, who is somewhat fixated on the concept of, you know, being not a baby. The worst thing in the world is to be a baby. Right. I guess the other big thing that we need to talk about is Richard and Sharon totally back together, yes. totally in love. They're both the – okay, when there's like the back and forth scene at the sort of early in the episode where they're getting ready for the wedding at their respective houses and they're both asking their daughters – you know, should I wear this? Should I wear that? Richard holds up two identical white shirts and asks Marianne which one he should wear. And Sharon has a ridiculous neon greenish yellow dress that she wore to her niece's quinceanera and another dress that is much more straightforward wedding dress, not neon green. And it's just, there's, it's sort of like they're having the same conversations at the same times with their respective daughters. And it's just so cute because they're both so flustered. And then they get to the wedding and Sharon and Don are late, of course, because it's Sharon. And Richard is freaking out that they're not going to come. And what does it mean? And he, he says, I need a drink and asks Marianne if she needs one. And he's like, oh, right, never mind. And he goes and gets like, a, a small little tiny – I mean, it's a normal glass, champagne glass, but it's got like a third in it, which Marianne references later. And he just like shotguns it and it's just – then he doesn't know what to do with the glass. He's so flustered and I love it so much. It was so perfect. He – like Mark Evan Jackson is just a national treasure. I mean, he was just so perfect in this episode. Um, Just the right level of like hysteria mm-hmm. and flusteredness, but like – um but sweet at the same time. Like the, just like the, the way that the part is written is really funny. The way that, you know, he, he asked Marianne for a drink and all, and all of that is great on paper, but he just brings that extra something. His line readings are just, just magical. I mean, we could just start a whole podcast about how, how great he is as Richard. The thing that really stood out for me with the Kinsey dress is it looked so much like a late nineties, early two thousands prom dress. Yes. Like I'm pretty sure some girls that I know wore that exact dress to high school dances. Um, and it looks very much like a quince dress for the quince. Right. Um, she, and, and she mentions that it was, I wore this after your, after we filed for divorce, which happened relatively recently. So how old was she when she wore that dress? Because I have concerns. The other one, yeah, it, it was a little, um, low cut for this type, you know, a backyard, family wedding event, but at least looked like a grown-up would wear it. Right. Um, the the quince dress looked very much like it was made for a 15-year-old. That raised some red flags. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, speaking of that, is there any other notable fashion? I mean, obviously there is. It's a wedding, and there are a couple that just were amazing. So what outfits should we go back and pay attention to? So first, I just have to call out, Christy has a second gray sweatsuit that she's wearing for the scene with the fake wedding between Karen and David Michael. So just have to note, she has multiple gray sweatsuits of different shades of gray. 
This time she wore it with a white turtleneck underneath, and it's even more on brand than usual with the white turtleneck. So I did enjoy her gray sweat shorts that she wears later in the episode yes. too, when she's packing. Um, I, I noted those as well. I was like, ooh, a variation on the gray sweatsuit ensemble. She's she's just a fan, you know. She finds something that she likes and she wears it forever. Which there's something to be said for that. But when it comes to wedding attire, I thought it might be fun rather than talking about them individually because I feel like. There's too much for us to talk specifically about each of the girls' outfits and anyone else's outfits. So what I was thinking was, I'm going to ask you, which of the five girls' outfit did you like the most and which one would you actually wear to a wedding? Ooh, good question. So obviously, like the most is Claudia. I just adored it. I love the puff sleeves. I've been obsessed with the puff sleeves Mm -hmm. since I read Anne of Green Gables at like seven um or more accurately watched the megan fellows um cbc oh yeah <laughs> version when i was like six and those blue puff st- sleeves so anyway the puff sleeves the belt the pattern that it just was perfection uh, the the fascinator loved it from top to bottom would never in a million years wear it right um i think if i'm honest i would most like i, I think i would want to wear dawns i think that that would be like what I would be most drawn to. But if I'm honest with myself, I dress the most like Mary Ann. What about you? So I obviously loved Claudia's, but I think I actually liked Dawn's the most. There's like, just, I think I it's like Dawn's. the the accessories with it because she's got like the gold chain mm-hmm. headband and it's like braided into her hair. And I honestly think Dawn's is my favorite. And I also probably would wear Dawn's. Yes, I can definitely see you wearing Dawn's. Yeah, like I just I love like the because it's like a sort of burgundyish red color. It's got like some gold sparkles pattern. I I mean I really think most of it is like her hair and the the headband with the rest of the, the ensemble. Headband. Like that, mm-hmm. I, that I just like loved, 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 and I think that's what's making me love that the most. As much as I mean, all of the girls look great. All of their costumes are. You know, chef's kiss exactly who each of those girls is. Like, none of them looked mm-hmm. any – no part of any of their outfits was out of place or seemed out of character. And I just loved it. But, yeah, Dawn's, Dawn's is my favorite, and I think I would probably wear Dawn's. I would – so going back to how you and I have similar tastes but diverging styling, I would probably do Dawn's hair with Mary Ann's dress. Mm. Like, that's how I would reconcile it for myself. And, and make the, the more, um, professional navy dress look a little bit more fun and loose with mm-hmm. the, like, the loose updo with a, a headband. I feel like I've done that hairstyle. Yeah. <laughs> multiple times before. Um, speaking of that, I do have to own, um, Christie's bridesmaid's dress looks startlingly similar to my senior prom dress. Um, <laughs> mine, was like a slightly more um, grown-up version of it. So when I saw that, I was like, mm, yep, that makes sense. That tracks. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what I would have been attracted to at that age. For sure. Well, any other one-off thoughts that you had before we start wrapping this thing up? Um, I did love uh, – we talked a little bit about Karen already, obviously, but the Karen and the tiara, The I mean, the fact of the tiara, again, that's, that's a whole other conversation. But um, I love that uh, – well, first of all, I loved it. It was beautiful. And I'm not usually one for diamonds in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to do a tiara, that headband style, I dig it. Um, 
but I love that she is, that this is when I wrote Karen is going to grow up to be a nightmare when she was like, <laughs> it's heavily insured. Yeah. I was like, oh boy, I'm not going to like adult version of you at all. <laughs> Definitely not. From that same scene, Edie comes in because Christy says like, oh, it would be much better if this wedding was outside. And Edie comes in, you know, she says this to Edie as she's coming in after the fake wedding. And Edie says, yeah, I agree. But six generations of brewers have been married in this room. Does that mean that Watson's first wedding was in that room too? I was going to ask the same thing. Why is tradition so, why is that tradition so important for a second wedding? Presumably he did all that traditional stuff for the first one. Right. And the second one, you can just sort of do what you want because... I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't, I, I don't mind marrying someone or being in a relationship with someone who had a past relationship that, you know, everybody's got baggage. Everybody's got their shit. But I don't know that I would love if my husband was like, my husband to be was like, you know what, we need to get married in the exact same place I married my ex-wife because right. family tradition. I'd be like, mm, you know what, you can tell your family to suck it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what? If it meant that I got to wear that tiara, I might suck it up. Yeah, it, for whatever reason, like, maybe it's just that as much as I love sparkly things, like, tiaras are not a thing that speaks to me for some reason, at least not in the same vein as that one. Like, that one just seems so big. I think it's the same reason I don't love all of the, like, knotted headbands that are such the rage now. Like, it just seems, like, too mm. big on top of your head. Like, I'll, I, I loved a, a good Blair Waldorf bow headband I was gonna say, it's very Blair Waldorf like sign me up for one of those I actually just restarted watching Gossip Girl so that's why Blair Waldorf is on my mind but like the the bows that like are close to your head those I'm fully on board for I love a good headband but like the ones that stick up so high from your head I just I don't love that look I don't know I wrote down Blair Waldorf. It felt very Blair Waldorf to me because she did have that phase where she had the thick like yeah she definitely had some of those kinds of headbands so and I do. I but you know me. I love a headband. Mm -hmm. I went through a whole uh, bangs and headband phase that is still a look that I like quite a bit. But yes, I I enjoyed that uh, that whole little bit as well. Nice. Well, I have actually two dessert related items at the wedding. The first of which is why is that cake so fucking massive? The wedding is like an in your house small kind of affair. That ha that cake was for like three hundred people. Oh, the number of people working at that wedding was clearly for a three hundred person wedding. Like it looked like there were more people working than there were attendees. Right, like everyone fit in that room. There were maybe like eight rows of maybe 10. And that's like overestimating because I am terrible at estimating anything. So I'm probably, maybe I'm super underestimating, but like there weren't that many rows of chairs in that room where the wedding was taking place. There were only maybe, again, I'm just estimating, which is probably the way off. There were maybe like 20 people standing just outside the room, like where Sharon and Don went when they came in. So it's like, that's like standing room only isn't that many people. So why are there so many people working? Why is that cake massive? I don't understand. And then why they have 17 other desserts aside from the cake. Right. Well, and that brings me into my other point about desserts. Um, and it's sort of, I guess, tangentially related to the dessert desserts. But Sharon's allergic to everything, which includes tree nuts, which means that when she eats the cake filled with Nutella frosting, she's going to need her EpiPen. And Richard because he loves her, is like, I got this. Dawn, you hang out with your friends. And I just love that Dawn's response to that was, my watch has ended. And I was like, that's, I love that little reference. I did too. Although I did go, 
really? Would 12-year-olds, should they be allowed to see Game of Thrones? Maybe um, she read the books. Would they? Would, I, I don't know that that's better. Or <laughs> maybe it's just because too. it's now a part of memes and meme culture and probably TikTok. I, I don't know if that's a thing on I don't TikTok. Know. But yeah. It just seemed like it, I the immediate thought was, I, I did too. I was like, I love that reference. And then my immediate thought was, that's kind of, I mean, it's not that deep of a cut, but it's not like, the most obvious ones. It was one that stood out to me as this is probably somebody who's seen the show, which, you know what? Come to think of it, I would buy that Sharon would like be permissive. Right. Enough That's like, a good yeah, point. I can handle it. Yeah. Um, or not even paying attention enough to realize the extent of um, what's in there. I don't know. I have a hard time. Like, it's one of those things where um, after. I turned like roughly 15 and started stopped getting carded for R-rated movies. That's literally not a thing that has ever crossed my mind again because I don't have kids. I my nephew is mm-hmm. you know 3 months old. I have not had to worry about that with him. Um so I have zero concept of like what's appropriate for kids or not. I remember very vividly showing children 16 candles and in the opening scene and being like, "Oh, I don't remember this." <laughs> oh right. <laughs> this is this is not appropriate for seven-year-olds. I need to turn this off now. Um, well, that pretty much wraps it up for me. Yeah, me too. I was just going to say, any final club business? Uh, why don't you remind everyone where they can find us? Yeah. Um, so if anyone wants to reach out to us on social media, we are available at uh, on Instagram and Twitter at GenerationBSC. Or if you want to email us, we can be reached at GenerationBSC at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this emergency Netflix meeting of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.